just a few days away from a historic moment in Six Nations rugby, with the all-important Six Nations Grand Slam decider between the Red Roses and France having already sold a record-breaking 50,000 tickets. Today, we preview that fixture as well as the semi-finals of the Champions Cup, and joining me and the full House of Columnists to do so is England prop Maud Moyer. The Women's Six Nations is less than a week away from its big climax, a title and a Grand Slam decider at Twickenham between the Red Roses and France. We kind of all expected it. Um, it's already sold over 50,000 tickets, which marks a world record attendance for a women's rugby fixture. Um, we've got a full house of columnists and joining us ahead of it is one of England's youngest players in Maud Muir. How are you, Maud? I'm good, thank you. Um, had a day off yesterday, but travel back from Ireland, so wasn't a full day off, but yeah, feeling good, ready to reset for the for the week ahead. Awesome. And where are you now, actually? Are you in London? Uh, we're in Bracknell. We're kind of like based between Bisham, Penny Hill Park and a hotel in Bracknell. Um, but we head to the Lensbury, I think it's in two days. How excited for Twickenham are you? Yeah, yeah very excited. It's I think it. we haven't thought about it too much until now. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be a, a, a monumental, is that a word? Not sure. Um, monumental game. Um, and like, yeah, it's just a crazy part of history um, for women's rugby. So it's going to be really exciting. Before we get into the game, I'm astonished to learn that you're not in a suite of your own at the Penny Hill Park with your £45 high tees. What's going on there? Yeah, um, I'm not sure on the whole details. I just know that we we don't stay at the, the hotel in Penny Hill and we actually haven't ever. Um, we we got we won a, a competition once to get to use the pools um at the at the hotel. Um but that's as much as we've used at the hotel. Do you not use the training facility there at all? Yeah, so we use the gym and the um, pitch and the okay. barn but okay. we kind of don't go into the actual complex of the hotel and stuff okay does that mean you have to walk back to Bracknell <laughs> we don't walk we do drive <laughs> <laughs> let's look backwards before we look forward so overall refre- reflections from Ireland a lot of people were expecting a record score which I think would have beaten 89 nil. obviously fell some way short of that um, did it feel like you guys fell short in, in terms of the performance as well? Yeah, we all came out feeling really frustrated, to be honest. We just, things didn't stick. We didn't perform anywhere near as well as we could have. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, we were all disappointed, but we still, with that disappointment, we still managed to put, what, 50 points or so on a team. So it just, it does show that, although we've got so much work to do this week, we can still execute in those final, the big, but basically that we bookended our the game really, um, with points. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot to work on this week, and I'm sure our training sessions will be a bit more intense, um, just with the quality and finishing those passes, and it's the final touches I think that didn't go to hand, which really let us down. Um, but they're simple fixes. It's not really a system error. It was very individual errors um, throughout the game. So I think they're very easy fixes for the week. You mentioned that you bookended the game. I think that's a very good way of putting it. And to be honest, from watching the Red Roses um, for a few years now, I think book, not necessarily bookending the game, but there's a, there, that lull in the middle of the game is something that's a bit of a repeat offence. 
is that yeah. something discussion and how well is that one of the work ones you mentioned how would you go about correcting that we haven't talked about it outright but I think it does happen because we start so well um teams do come back and I, I think yeah we do drop off but it also comes because teams step up when they are down by that much if that makes sense and then obviously we get points at the end as well because our finishers come on and you know they our finishers are great and they will always step up and that's when we get points on again um so I think it's sort of to do with that I don't know if there's any other analytical stuff I don't feel as a team we purposely not purposely but we don't have a different mindset as soon as we've gotten into that half 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 of the first half sort of thing it's pretty difficult Maud, isn't it i mean i mean I, I, I don't know how you can answer this really because it's it, it, it it's it, it it's an awkward issue but the gulf that's between england and and ireland i mean is so much greater than the difference between england and france um yeah is do you do you prepare in any way differently for for a weekend when you know that the game is going to be extremely competitive and that there's going to be some fear factor involved and there's going to be some nerves involved, which may not be there for some other fixtures, not all, but for some other fixtures. It's a pretty tough thing to go out there in, in an international game when you know in your heart of hearts that if all goes well, you're going to win comfortably. Uh, it's mm. a very big difference to play somebody like France or like New Zealand or even Canada in, in the in the in the semi final at the World Cup when when the fear factor kicks in. So, do you prepare differently? Is, is the mindset completely different through the week? I think we try to get the same mindset, but obviously there's underlying like nerves for those sorts of games. Like no one wants to lose, and although you know we do want to win, we also want to be challenged. So these games do help us be better because, well, we just don't get them back often. Um, but to do with training, our training weeks very similar. Um, we have a little bit, little bits of change that are kind of off-field stuff, like getting a coach to training just because it's a bit further. That does that does change a bit, but pretty much the whole week's looking very similar. Would it be in a in a way that um, you know the Irish were 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 actually uh, very persistent and very dogged uh, defensively, and actually in a way it's a bit of a wake up for for England in some ways uh, that game because there was a period we already said where you, England went quiet um, in the second half in particular. Is that not 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 a bad thing in some ways because you're trying to play a more open game, as you say, quite a lot of the passes didn't stick. There was also a fair amount of indiscipline as well. You got on the wrong side of the referee at certain certain times. So there's there's a lot to work off there, isn't there? You know, and maybe just having a little bit. Okay, it's still a forty-eight nil victory, but there were you know there were long periods really where where you weren't able to uh, impose yourselves on the Irish in the way in which you wanted to. I think it is you know dusted off the cobweb sort of thing, um, so we can we know that you know we can't do that against the French because they will punish us and they will put points up against us. Mm. Um, so we like I think it it has given us a bit of a kick. But also, 
we had that mindset anyway that we were going to go up a ch- more challenging France this week but we did know that Ireland were going to bring it to us like we had no previous conceptions no matter how you know well they or not so well they did in the previous games we didn't think oh this is going to be an easy game at all um but I really think they they did step up so and did bring it to us but that did put us under a bit more pressure however it was kind of you know it was our own fault mistakes that let us down rather than you know them putting loads of pressure on us Mm. um why we made so many mistakes I don't actually know the answer to that because it was pretty like individual errors yes it seemed to be um like just pushing the pass one one time <laughs> yeah. too many very often you know rather than recycling you know you'd had good good yeah. flowing movements and then there was just that uh, tendency to try and find the miracle pass right at the end yeah uh, definitely and i think it just shows that we can also stick it up the jumper occasionally and just play through them as opposed to all the time expansive rugby yeah. Is, is there not an element also that, you know, this France England match has been on the horizon for a very long time and both sides, you know, you'd be not human if, if you weren't focusing on it a bit? Because I, I thought France were off the boil a bit as well at the weekend. Um, one or two very good tries, but 39 14 against Wales, it wasn't their best performance, I didn't think. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's that subconscious thing the big one is now six days away. You know, that's when we got to reduce everything. Maybe, yeah, subconsciously. But to be honest, we haven't really talked about it at all, um, the French game, until today, really. Um, so subconsciously, maybe. But I'm, I also don't know the answer to that one. Um, but, yeah, the French game, they start, had a really good start again and then managed, they kind of bookended it as well. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they did rather, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's the pressure that other teams put on you once they are down by that many points I'm not I'm not too sure um or the drop-off from us in France but to be honest I think that we won't do that next week and that won't happen and we'll you know be consistent throughout the whole performance watching that French performance uh, against Wales and 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 it, it, it was a, a bit of a curate's egg job for sure but from a sort of slightly untutored eye in terms of what they generally do in, in the women's game there, I just thought some of their angles of running and their support play and their their ability to get numbers into narrow channels and make the most of those opportunities, it's almost like watching French, like French rugby as a, as a whole. There are things that in common in the styles that they play. Is it your impression that if they get a platform up front, they're really dangerous for you. Yeah, they are. They are definitely dangerous open play, and I think a key thing for us this week is to, you know, destroy their set piece. That is that is our mindset. But by also we have a stronger defence in the back system, um, so I don't think they'll be able to make those cutting lines as easily um, as their previous games. But I definitely think a key thing for us this week is that we can get, um, you know, destroy their set piece so that they don't have that front football to play off. Am, am I right in thinking that their their number ten is it is it Tremulier, um, yeah, who, who plays like Stephen Larkham? She's 
sort of tall and not terribly quick and does a load of yeah. whole magical things, especially in the offload department. I mean, yeah. her, her distribution out of, contract, uh, out of contact is really very good. I think I'm right in saying this is her last game. Uh, yeah, she's yes, I think she is retiring. That was her last home game. Yeah, so there'll, so there'll, there'll there'll be some sort of emotional um, some emotional content around uh, uh, around her performance. I would think that would that would give them an extra edge, um, conceivably. An edge, or could yeah, could work in our favour as well. But again, we haven't really we don't really focus on that <laughs> specific. Um, part of it because we also don't know if she's going to be selected at 10 who like who knows you don't really focus on that sort of specificness should, should you happen to come across should you happen to come across her in open field more would you treat her to the full um uh the full range of your abilities in contact <laughs> i'll try and try and push her back a bit <laughs> maud how's marley packer doing yeah um marley's doing good she is being she's kind of we have this thing called rehab club um which she's being <laughs> integrated into. In that. <laughs> yeah there's definitely it's been a very fluid in and out club um throughout the six nations but she's we're, I'm, we're not too sure if she's going to be fit or not but i think they're going to assess throughout the week so she's definitely not ruled out um for the weekend Okay, but no, no, no official up update. Obviously, um, yeah, no official update. Brendan, I wanted to ask you about Ireland after the performance of the weekend, and it's funny that some were arguing who would be the happier of the two sides after a forty-eight nil win. But you know, some were saying that Ireland would be happier than the Red Roses, which there's an irony in. It shows how big the gap is, and well, there are massive problems in Irish women's rugby. Only seven players took up pro contracts. The whole. Um, I give a fuck protest angle, uh, which was trying to counteract. Obviously, there was a a name in Irish rugby um, who was heard saying, I don't give a fuck about women's rugby. Some want to remain in the Premier 15, salary issues. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a, a mess there. But I, I think I'm right in saying that one group of ladies turned up in T-shirts saying, I do give a fuck. Male supporters, but um, so there's a bit of spirit there. Listen, you know... Oh, I, I know. You go back. I don't know what's happened in Ireland. They were outstanding at the 2014 World Cup. They beat New Zealand. It, you know, they were the team that opened up women's rugby. Because until then, New Zealand had a stranglehold for 16 years. And without Ireland beating New Zealand, you know, I, I'm, they, they might well have won that World Cup. And it just seems they seemed underappreciated, um, undervalued. Uh, there was a bit of spirit there. You know, I, I certainly thought it was going to be a, a record sort of cricket score. So... 48-0 was um, actually not a bad result. And as um, Nick was saying, there was a bit of ticker there. They really dug in uh, and, okay, damage limitation, but that's what it had to be, you know, and they did limit the damage. But it's completely out of step with the rest of Irish rugby, isn't it, women's rugby? It's, they're getting so much else right everywhere. Um, provinces, Europe, you know, European competitions, URC, uh Preparation on the national team, everything is absolutely a one except the women's program. Um, and I think they need a big name to put their reputation and name alongside women's rugby, go in there and and just be the person around the totem pole figure around which Irish women's rugby sort of um gather. Do you think given that Irish rugby in general elsewhere is hitting all the right spots, it's only a matter of time? 
Well, you'd like to think that, but why isn't it there already? You know, because Irish rugby's been hitting the spots for a long time now, you know, five or six years. And you'd think the women's rugby would have come along in, you know, in the in the draft of that. So I'm perplexed as to, to what's happened, especially as I remember, you know, that day they beat New Zealand. I thought, you know, they're really going places, this team. Well, it's possible to argue, Brendan, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 I'm not close enough to Irish rugby now to know this for sure, but uh, the administrative uh, governance wing of Irish rugby was extremely traditional, extremely traditional for many, many years. Now, I don't know whether there's been a significant change. And, and as we've all been saying, every other bit of Irish rugby is in, interlocking beautifully and everything's leading one thing to another and it's all going swimmingly apart from the women's game. Brendan, given given your contacts, personal and professional contacts in Ireland, do you think that there is still some, not resistance, but a, a level of don't careishness at governance level, which is uh, which may be uh, affecting the development of the women's game? I think you'd have to conclude that there still is a bit. Um, That's what I was trying to say. In yeah, a, I think I think they're just like... underappreciated, and and there, there might be elements there that haven't appreciated that not just Irish women's rugby, women's rugby is moving on. It's now becoming a a fantastic thing. Uh, you'd like to think they'd get there quickly now, but um, something's got to happen because they are languishing. I definitely think it is that support that they are lacking. Like the girls that play at Gloucester for Ireland, um, they just don't have that support that like the RFU provide for us. They just don't have any of it. And it's really damaging to see because they're working so hard. They're training so hard, but they just don't get the support at all. Um, like the girls at Gloucester had to, um, say no to a contract because they needed to move back to Ireland but the league is nowhere near as good as the Prem so yeah. it is it is just that compromisation sort of thing like they're not going to be able to magically appear to be a, an amazing league in Ireland so why don't you let your players play in that English league whilst we develop that Irish league so that it's at the standard that will make the Irish national team better it just seems yeah. to be a bit backwards um and it will take so much time like a couple of years for it to be you know the island team to be at the same level as the other nations now because we're we're all nations are moving at such a rapid notch of development it's going to be really difficult but that yeah they just need a bit of support from from the IRFU I think yeah because the the debate right is whether professionalism or not kicks in but what people don't discuss a lot of the time is what professionalism will actually look like and more I know you can't comment on the finances side of things and the players that Gloucester and what they were offered but the red roses are um the sa the salary is in the 25,000 to 35,000 from what I've read and the Irish players it seems to be something like 15,000 on the lower end you know that that's not that's not really enough if you're having to upend your yeah. life in England in the Premier 15s and then go to a, to a league, like you say, that's less competitive, probably won't help you as a rugby player quite as much. And then also probably take a pay cut from whatever you're already doing. Yeah, it's just not livable. Um, but I think it, it isn't just the money, it's everything else that comes with it, you know, the support through training and stuff like that, having not just a week before the tournament starts, um, having training but you know checking in a few weeks before that sort of thing I think really adds up and 
it's not just contact hours as well it's the you know physio throughout the year it's not just the training hours I think that's where they need to look at as a whole year as opposed to just six nations and wxp or whatever I I think Maud makes a really good point there actually Uh, I mean that that Irish rugby um, in recent years has done brilliantly in keeping its very biggest names in Ireland. Um, you know, there's a there's a reason Brian O'Triscoll didn't go and play in France or wherever, and that was because the incentives for him to stay uh, in Ireland were huge. We know Sexton went very briefly to France and regretted it, but most of those really big-name Irish men's players have stayed in Ireland, and the incentives are massive. And their financial and their tax incentives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not only the financial incentives, is it? They can also offer them a fantastic opportunity on the field to win big prizes. You know, you can keep Brian O'Driscoll at Leinster because there's a Heineken Cup possibility on the end of it. And at the moment, in Irish women's rugby, they can't do that. They, they can actually pay them. They can actually offer to pay them more. But if there's not much of a league over there and there's not much competition week on week, it's unsatisfying, I would think, for, for, for an Irish player. So Maud makes a perfectly good point. It would be entirely sensible for the Irish just to say, carry on playing for Saracens or Gloucester or wherever it is. Just just stay over there, develop your game, and we'll we'll build from the bottom up. And when we're good enough to bring you all back on a decent wage with a decent fixture schedule, then that's what we'll do. That That should be the way forward, surely. Let's look ahead to uh, England, France a little bit. So again, over 50,000 tickets sold. Now, we mentioned that England were trying to force that extra miracle pass, um, that sort of thing a little bit. And Maggie Alfonsi, who was a guest on um, the pod a few weeks ago, actually, she's come out and said that England have actually moved away from their mall in um, in the first five rounds of the Six Nations and that they should move back towards it as one of their primary strengths against a... French outfit that will give them their first real test. Maud, what do you make of that? Well, I'm a forward, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> She's trying think... to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I think our key thing is being able to attack in all areas of the field and in all different ways. So we have options, you know, but our main thing is more first, then, you know, see what options if it, there are in the rest of the field if the mall stalls sort of things. So I, I don't think we've come away from the mall completely and it's still a key part of our training. Um, Can I just ask you, how many variations have you actually got um, at the mall? How many different drives? How many, um, you know, how many different moves off it? What's the play? Like as in within a line-out or off, yeah. off the line-out? Well, uh, maybe off the line out would probably be, you know, allow for greater clarity. Well, it, I obviously don't like, you know, exact numbers, but we have set plays and then we have options off those set plays. So yeah. I don't know, like there'd probably be 15 or 20 different options that you can go to. Um, but my head's probably in the back of a mall, so I don't even see it. <laughs> Do you sometimes find with the amount of line out line out calls that you've got and then the moves off them and so on and so forth, sometimes feel that there's a bit of um information overload sometimes or 
Um, I I definitely think at the beginning of coming into England, I was like very overwhelmed, but there's little pieces added in. And to be honest, against the best, you need that. You need the different variation in the line-out. You can't just, you know, go to the middle or go to your best line-out jumper every time because they'll defend it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so having the, that variation is so important. And, you know, with the backs having their different moves all options being on is always good. Like if you only have one option, if the picture defensive picture does, doesn't open up, then you can't use that. So yeah, I think it's having all the options available and yeah, it is a lot of information, but I think we go through it enough that everyone is clear on their roles. So yeah. And is the French mall defense pretty, um, pretty good? It is good. I mean, I think watching their games, it's definitely an area we can attack. Um, yeah, I think we can. We're 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 definitely going to try and move over a few, um, but we'll see what opens up on 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 Saturday. Yeah, yeah. We, we we were mentioning Maud, um a, a couple of weeks ago that um, in 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 the Premiership, in the men's Premiership, um, hookers are second only to wings. In terms of try scoring, there are, there, are, yeah. there are loads of hookers in the top twenty Premiership try scorers, and it's not because they've all turned into you know um, bone Barrett. It's it's because they're, they're spending quite a long time hanging off the back of the stuff that you do uh, at close quarters. Would it amaze you if in the next five years the people who make the laws in the game just try to reduce the influence or the impact or the potency of the of the line out more of the five meter more i don't know how they would like would they just say you're not allowed to more unless it's five meters out i don't know what they do i don't think they really can that's it's a big part of the game and yeah whilst it is probably not as attractive to look at it's a key part of rugby and it's a key part of opening up the rest of the field so I think it does, you know, it adds to rugby. Uh, they, I mean, they could. For, I mean, there are a few things they could do. I mean, I mean, some things yeah. have been suggested. I, 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 you know, there's a professional referee I know who says, well, you could stop it just by lifting in the line out, and then you can't set yourself in the same way that you, uh, you can with with lifting. Or you could say, if you kick for touch off a off a off a penalty in the um in in, in the opposition half, the opposition get the throw. I mean, you can't. You, there are there are things you can do to to to, to stop what yeah. some people think is the inevitability. It's not quite inevitable because some sides defend better than others. But there's a hell of a lot of being scored. Barely a game goes by Maud without yeah. a couple of close quarter tries. Yeah, I think it 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 wouldn't be the same. And I think if it gets you points, it gets you points, sort of thing. It's kind of a a thing to have in your locker. Yeah. If everything else isn't going well, you can go five meters out and get it, get some points on the board. I, that's my point of view for it. Yeah. You could argue, couldn't you, in the World Cup final, that wasn't um, something in the locker for things were going wrong. That was England's go-to tactic from the kickoff. Yeah, I mean, one, yeah. one of the one of the areas that is that is an issue is that it's obviously one area of the game where it's legalised obstruction, effectively. So you've usually got a phalanx of people in front of the ball carrier. And that didn't used to be the case. That ball had to be held 
so that it was in contact with the opposition. So you could have a latcher, but mm -hmm. the, those who'd secured it still needed to be on the ball. And that made it more of a grapple and it made it uh, uh, possible for, and there were very, very good mauling teams who used to get in and strip the ball. And that seems to have gone out the window now. And um, it's it, it's actually not a good law variation. It's, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not easy to score from a driving ball at any stage, but it's certainly easier than it used to be. Um, yeah, it, I think it just means that as a defensive team, you need a better line-out defensive mall system. Like, mm. it's not about going through the mall now. It's trying to stop it at source and being that flat however many people to stop it not mm. trying to get the ball back necessarily but stopping them getting the nudge on yeah i mean <laughs> one of the one of the, one of the sort of time honored ways of, of of doing it is sort of what they call chopping the log you knock it sideways so it's it's side on rather than as a as a spear point and then you can you you're not offside so you can chop it that way but, yeah, um, there's lots of different things you can do. You can yeah. stand off it, but I think, yeah. How, how did we get to a point in the game where you you can't collapse a wall off a line out? Um, uh, I mean, unless you unless you sack it, I suppose. But you can't collapse a wall off a line out. But after in a choke tackle, you can collapse a wall as soon as the referee shouts more. How does that work? <laughs> it doesn't, sure. does it? <laughs> <laughs> no logic to it at all. That's game all, game full of contradictions. Well, that's a that's a pretty big one in my yeah. view. <laughs> it's a pretty big one. Yeah, no question. Maud, you're a cricketer, weren't you? Sorry. Yeah, I did used to play cricket. Played for my county, Oxfordshire, for a few years. Yeah. Blistering middle order batter, or 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 or, uh, um, or did you fire a few a few quick ones? What 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 was your strength in the great summer game? fielding I was a great fielder <laughs> um no I was also like mid yeah middle order batter like I'd either hit it and whack it and get a couple a couple runs or I'd get out first ball <laughs> a couple runs I mean there, there was another pro wasn't there really David Soul at Exeter University yeah they reckon he was the best fielder in the cricket team so you're, yeah, you're in a long line of outstanding cover points You've you painted quite a good picture of why you turned to rugby, Maud. If if you were just going to get a quick two or get or get a first baller, um, and you didn't do much bowling, but you were brilliant in the field. Were you um, cover point mid wicket? You know, sort of Viv Richards. I like being where, wherever they would hit it in the air because I literally <laughs> threw, threw my body round like a rag doll. I'd love it. Now, I wanted to ask about, so Simon Middleton's come out and said a couple of interesting things this tournament, and one of them's about goal kicking. And I, I wanted to know your thoughts on the whole, if you score a tryout wide, you can bring it into 10 metres. And he, he made it the equivalent to the women's tee in golf and whether you think that's a viable option for the women's game because goal kicking stats are obviously quite low. I think Luggy Tuama got her first, one of her first five, for example, on Saturday. Um, whether it would increase that a little bit. Yeah, obviously I'm not a goal kicker, so I don't really know the ins and the outs. I think that people can do it. I think World Rugby and Six Nations have posted loads of clips of, you know, kickers slotting them in from the touchline. So it can happen. And I think that 
I had an interview the other day with Rido and she was saying that there isn't it isn't coached as much as like other areas of the game so that's perhaps why it is a bit lower but I definitely don't I don't think that moving it in would help in in terms of long term I think to try and equal the game we need to keep the laws as similar as possible to the men's game I think it it will grow the gap between men's and women's and you know it will show spectators that they're not you know we're behind the men and that's not the case we we can well not me <laughs> but the the other girls that kick for posts can can get it and I think yeah it is it is an area where needs a bit more development in the coaching side of things um obviously can't speak personally but um yeah I think that's interesting because I guess what you've just said is that they can do it and the way I hadn't really about it um and Chris I'm going to ask you about your thoughts on it as well but with the golf example for the teaser brought forward because female golf players I don't I don't know of any that could hit it 350 yards as some of the men do and so there is that limitation but obviously Emily Scarrett can quite easily slot from the touchline so why wouldn't you keep it that way I I, I can't Im- imagine why I, I mean women's rugby has, has developed I mean we, we we know that there are problems with relative strengths and and there's there's an an, an elite band of highly you know highly professionalized teams that are you know 20 30 points better than everyone else so they're all that sort of stuff but in general women's rugby as Brendan said earlier has moved on at a fantastic pace over the last decade 12 years it's 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 a it's a pretty good product now it's a really really very good product now as the Twickenham crowd 50,000 might be at the 60,000 by the weekend will tell you so why why the women's game would want to separate itself at all or make any kind of special case for itself at all when it's made such a strong case playing exactly the same laws as the men's game I can't I I think it would be a hugely retrograde step honestly and I was surprised that Simon Said it. I mean, I mean, in pure, in pure strength terms or kicking strength terms, at the moment he might have a case, but I think it's a very thin case if you if you set it against the much the the much broader context of the advances that the women's game has made, playing exactly the same rules as the blokes, and I think they should keep it exactly the same. And it also penalises the the brilliant individual you know players who can who can yeah. kick it from the touchline, who can kick it from forty meters. And the women's game has always had a few of those. Even, you know, I can go back to the, you know, 87. I covered the first Wales women England game. And there was a couple of girls in that game who could really kick the ball. So I think Maud's onto something there. It's not coached enough. It's, it's not concentrated on enough. And perhaps if there was a bit more um, focus on that. Uh, and if, if, if a team's got a demon goal kicker, good on them. You know, that's their advantage. Well, it's a simple as a simple answer from England's perspective, is to raise a couple of million quid and bring Dave already. <laughs> I think, yeah, you you say it right. Like to try and keep the women's game as accessible and as easy to watch as possible will be the best thing for the game. And you know, the the supporters from the men's side will find it so easy to watch. I think that's that's what we need to do. Not that we're trying to always get. Them just the men's spectators. We're getting every type of spectator there is, but I think to make it as easy as you can is the best thing for the women's game. Yeah, yeah. It would be that transition phase where 
a player would, would score the try in the corner and then the kick would be taken 10 metres in and spectators would go, well, why on earth is that happening? And that just disrupts the continuity of effortlessly watching sport, which we know that rugby, because of all its law changes and permutations, it struggles with anyway. Yeah. And, and, and and let's let's face it, women's sport has struggled so hard to gain some kind of parity. You know, it's not so long ago where there was no women's pole vault in the Olympics, for example, no women's hammer because they were, I don't know what reasons they came up with for obstructing that kind of stuff. But now every men's event in, in track and field in the Olympics, there's a women's, there's a women's event running along exactly the same lines on exactly the same basis. And that's a big advance. You've got women's boxing now. You've got women's cricket. All right, the, the boundary rope might be brought in a few yards, but that's done for T20 purposes anyway. No matter no, no matter which, which sex is playing the game. So uh, and 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 you look at the lionesses. They're playing a game of football in exactly the way as an England men's team play a game of football. It's instantly recognisable. There are no differences. There's no confusion. More to absolutely right. It would it would be. It would it would say something about women's sport that there that women's sport does not want said about it, frankly, to start jiggering around with the rules and making them different. Yeah, look, I mean, the the thing from my point of view is that it's a closed skill, so it is one that you can practice and practice and practice, and you can get better. And um, I think that um, I, I just I, I think that it it would be pointless. Um, to um, have a a, a sort of a, a lesser goal kicking skill, definitely, and um, and I think that that you can see um, there's been progression in terms of if you actually look at on field kicking as well. Girls are kicking the ball a lot longer than they did, sort of uh, say ten years ago or something something of that sort. And there's no question that the goal kickers are actually kicking it further than they did as well. So that, that progression can continue. I think that's very well put. And I agree with all of you, actually, which is actually quite rare. <laughs> well, we More... usually fight like cat and dog mood. So it's, um, you've, um, <laughs> you, you are, oh, you're, one the, you're one of the world's natural diplomats. Well done. <laughs> Maud, just before you go, let's do your round and rugby 15 very quickly. Um, okay. I don't know if you were told about that by Emily. It's just 15 quick fire questions about you, basically. It's not general knowledge or anything like that. It's just okay. get to know you a bit better. Uh, you looked very relieved. Yeah. General knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I'm awful at general knowledge <laughs> yeah, quizzes. I, I am too. As Chris constantly gives me shit for, actually. In, indeed, I don't know what's happened to the education system. but there No, we I know. It is poor. I apologise. Um, right, let's get going. Nickname? Maudie? Maudster? First rugby memory. First cap against the All Blacks, Black Buns. Most embarrassing rugby memory. Um, probably I just trip over all the time over nothing, like a blade of grass would trip me over. Is that true in life as well as on a rugby field? You're just very clumsy. Quite clumsy, yeah. Pre-game tune. Whatever's on the speaker. Post-game meal. Pizza, burger, whatever is on offer. Sorry, these aren't very good. <laughs> best, play, best play you've played against? Played against. Probably scrummaging-wise, Vic Cornbra. Yeah. Best play you've played with? Vic Cornbra. <laughs> Favourite player right now? Favourite player right now? 
probably Sarah Byrne. Just the way the stuff she's doing around the park and scrummaging is great. Rugby Idol. <laughs> Vic Cornbra. <laughs> <laughs> Never had someone be the answer for three questions. <laughs> favorite, She'll love it. She'll love favorite, it. Favourite stadium. Oh, um, I played an under-18 game at Principality, which was very cool. There was no crowd, but, well, maybe 10 people, but it was still very cool. Favourite gym exercise? I quite like shoulder press. What, barbell or dumbbell? Yeah, barbell. barbell. Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Probably a coach or a teacher. Something to do with either children or sport. Okay. Not teach, or both. Not teaching general knowledge, though. No. Like four-year-olds teaching. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, young. <laughs> Superstitions? None. Rugby law you would change? Not the mall rule. <laughs> <laughs> um maybe that i i quite liked this you know when you put the ball down um now it's a kick a 22 dropout no it's a goal line dropout i quite liked when it was a scrum to be honest so i'd probably change it back uh held up ha or when you like just put the ball on the ground over the trying yeah, yeah it's yeah. a goal you just want more scrums yeah <laughs> <laughs> and lastly best thing about working in rugby uh, the people. Yeah, awesome. Especially yeah. Vic Cornbra. <laughs> Especially Vic Cornbra. I'll send this. I'll send the link to Vic Cornbra, and she'll love it. <laughs> so many shout outs. That was a that was a great round of rugby fifteen. Cause you, looked, <laughs> you looked surprised by every word that came out your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> right, Maud. I'll let you go there. It's Amazing. been great meeting you, and yeah, massive, massive good luck for this weekend. It's very, very exciting, and I'm sure. I know you haven't played at Twickenham since uh, age grade or like school level rugby, have you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I actually played. I forgot about. I did that in an interview, and I forgot I actually played at a big game one year, but not oh. played for England. <laughs> England Twickenham yeah. debut, so it's something to cherish. Yeah, and hopefully yeah, exactly. And get the grand slam. Thank Cheers you very more. much. Bye. Thank you. Now that Maud's gone, it felt a bit harsh to ask her for a score prediction. I did ask, I think, Sadia Kabea for a score prediction for the World Cup final. Um, and then they obviously ended up losing. So I didn't want to do that again and jinx the Red Roses. Um, but can we get a score prediction from all, well, all four of us? Yeah. I'll start with Nick. I think, um, uh, some say 25 18 England. 25 18. I think that's quite good. Especially by your standards, Nick. <laughs> They're improving. They are. You're on a, you're on a roll of one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I think France have got another gear. Um, if it's a dry day, I think they'll win about 30 25. Uh, if it's like it is today, I think the England forwards will get on top. Um, so, really, if you can ask me on Friday, guys, when we've got the weather forecast. But on a dry day, I think France are going to win it. Does that mean you think France is going to win it? On a dry day, yeah. No, that's not the question. Okay, Fr France will win it. Okay, France will win it by five-ish. 30-25-ish, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Bren, actually. I, I think um, I think the French will pose, will, will ask questions that England simply haven't been asked so far. I mean, they've gone in. England have gone in 10 tries a game. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I mean, I think it's 30, 39 tries in four matches. Um, and they're scoring much more heavily than France, even though, as we said earlier, they're taking, they've had a couple of games where they've had taken a bit of time off and they've been bookending games. Um, so I, I think the French will be pretty emotionally charged for it. England will be emotionally charged also, but it's a less experienced side than we've uh, than we've seen in the recent past. And if Marley Packer doesn't play, who seems to me to be, I mean, real captaincy material. Um, and she's a she's a she's a tough tough nut. I think so. If she doesn't play, I think that leaves a bit of a hole there. And uh, I can see I can see the French if they get a platform winning the game by by you know not not by much by a score. And I'll be going England by a score. So Nick, it's you and me. On, You're on in my, good I'm, company, Ollie. And I and I think I think I've checked it's going to be dry on Saturday. <laughs> Hang um, on, Ollie's having a rethink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this, I, I've I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just before we wrap up, quick ten minutes on um, the Heineken Cup. The headline from today, we're recording on Monday evening, is that Jacko Piper is making his Heineken Cup debut in La Rochelle versus Exeter. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, look, he's... Um, I don't I don't really feel that, um, that, that the referee should be a uh, a, a real uh, fixture in it. OK, we've got the Freddie Stewart um, red card. I don't necessarily think that he'll be reaching for that in the same... In a similar incident with quite the same uh, speed as he did the last time round, but um, no, look, I mean, he's a uh, he's a panel referee, so um, I, I, I would anticipate he'd do a good job. I think that Exeter are very lucky to be there. Um, you know, their game against Montpellier. You know, the 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 red card that went to Zach Mercer has been uh, wiped off the slate, and. Um, uh, I think if he'd stayed on, that uh, they they would probably have lost at home to Montpellier. Um, and the Stormers' performance in the semi-final was sort of unrecognisable, really, from the side that they were the week before. So Exeter, but, you know, credit to Exeter. They didn't turn up. Exeter did turn up, and they turned up in a way, I think Rob Baxter was right when he said that it was you know their best performance of the season, and if they go to La, uh, to Bordeaux um, and produce uh, uh, even you know if they can match that or produce a step up, they'll they, they won't be uh, easy meat at all for La Rochelle. But um, I think La Rochelle have got too much all round, too much too much clout, and um, a sort of uh, one of those. Uh, South Seas phenomenons, or two of them actually. Um, although Skelton is uh, is uh, Australian by uh, nationality, um, South Seas by heritage, and uh, Botia, those two are just um, they're sort of uh, match winning. Just on on the Jacko Piper thing, um, I, 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 I don't think Piper's my favourite referee. Um, any more than a Carl Dixon or a, an Andrew Brace at the moment is my are my favourite referees. But I've got nothing against him doing the game, apart from the fact that there are options for um, the Heineken Cup, or sorry, the European Champions Cup refereeing department to pick a referee who can speak both French and English. 
and it's not just Barnes and and Luke Pierce, but like the Georgian guy who has been brilliant all season. Everyone's talked about him. You know, I, I don't know whether he's got a, a, a game elsewhere. Um, but for a game of that magnitude, I just think it's it's beginning to look embarrassing when there's an Anglo-French contest or a Celtic-French contest or whatever it is. The, 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 the French have spent years and years and years at a significant disadvantage in terms of language, as the game gets noisier, as the chat gets more, as the referees provide more and more in the way of running commentaries. Yes, they will have some French, uh, some English speakers in their side. La Rochelle, I'm sure Will Skelton can speak some kind of language, can't he? But, the, but <laughs> it, it is still, in the midst of battle, it is still a massive disadvantage when a referee is giving running commentaries and half of the opposition at least cannot understand it. Mm. <coughs> so I, I just think the optics of it uh, are important and I think that they should be doing everything they can, the people who are allocating these fixtures, to make sure, insofar as they can, that there is a dual-language referee on the field. Well, it means, uh, I mean, that's an interesting one. You know, I mean, I suppose, in principle, that, that that's right. But it's also not right if you're, a, if you're an outstanding referee and you don't happen to be a linguist, that you're not, um, you know, penalised off the park when it comes to big games. So, you know, I mean... But I don't. I don't think it's difficult to learn um, fifteen or twenty, uh, or say, yeah, I think fifteen yeah, right. or whatever. I don't think that that's difficult. And that, Wayne Barnes and Luke Pierce have gone out of their way to do it. Yeah, and yeah. Been yeah. Really, I don't think either of those are linguists. But if you're earning eighty, hundred thousand pound a year, you they've learn been a bit, really effective. I, 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 it, it's beginning to really get on my nerves now when somebody will jabber for seventy nine minutes in the year of somebody of, of Toulouse or La Rochelle or whoever. And then in the last minute when they're, you know, when they're 10 points down and they can't win the game, they'll suddenly say Ale or Jouet mm. or something like that. And, and you think you prat. Yeah. You know? it's, 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 it's interesting because what do you do, for example, let's say, you know, you transpose Georgia with France, you know, I mean, how many Georgian speaking referees are you going to get, you know, outside Georgia? Well, they all too French, don't well, they? Well, that's 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 true. There is a lot of French, I suppose, and and it's, it's true with the South American sides, the Spanish, and all that. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, I mean, you cannot you you can't all be. You, not every referee is going to have a full arm, uh, mm. a full armory of uh, of rugby playing languages. Mm. Uh, but the French do play in quite a lot of big games. Yeah, yeah, they and do. and very often they're against. Well, they don't play themselves very often. So yeah. generally, they're against English-speaking teams. Yeah. And um, and they have been at a disadvantage. They've complained about it in the past. They've had plenty to say on the subject in the past. And the only reason I raise it now is that in the last two or three years, people like Barnes and Pierce have made the effort to do this stuff. I mean, there used to be Alan Roland, of course, um, who, who was, was, was able to cope. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. And he was he was half French. It, well, he's half French. Well, well, that's absolutely fine. Yes, there, there there is a limit to how far you can go in this. I, I agree, Nick. But if you've got the opportunity, if you've got the bodies there to be able to do it, and they are good enough referees, hmm. then I don't see why you wouldn't be doing it. And it's at this point you tell me that George is going to do Leinster and Toulouse. No, he's not. That's Wayne Barnes. 
Oh, right. Oh, well, that says that's, well. that's a very interesting one because well, I, I, just, I highlighted just, it a couple of weeks ago. It's of interest. Does the, do, you, do you know certain that the Georgian yeah. referee does speak French, does he? Yes, he does. Does he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Wayne, Wayne Barnes is doing Leinster. Uh, Luke Pierce is also involved, Brendan. If... Yeah. I think, is he on the on, running the touch? I don't know. But the Wayne Barnes call is a big one because, as we said a couple of weeks ago, Leinster's Achilles heel, if they've got one is that one day a ref is going to ping them at the, the breakdown. And, and Wayne Barnes might be that man, you know, big semi-final. Um, he won't want them taking the mick at the breakdown. And he might decide quite early on to get quite strict. And I agree referees shouldn't make a difference, but we all know they do on occasions. Mm. And I think that's a small victory for Toulouse. That they, they won't be at all unhappy to no. have Wayne Barnes. I do think, actually, that Carl Dixon should definitely be doing one of these big games because, of course, you construct self-importantly in any language. <laughs> Esperanza. I think he's, he's a potential guest for the pod, Chris. So, well done. Excellent. That's Excellent. Well, 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 will he be able to strut sitting down? <laughs> well, you, you'll be able to tell him if he does. down that bridge. Uh, I think, that, but get, getting back to the, the that Leinster game, I mean, it, it's fascinating, really, because you know, last year what we saw in in the final was that Leinster were um, were bossed physically. Um, you know that the, the the just the sheer size and physical clout of that La Rochelle side um, wore them down and um, turned 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 the tide quite dramatically in the last 20 minutes, last quarter of the game. And this Toulouse side is um, of similar proportion. So, uh, you know, Mayafu is apparently the, uh, the, you know, Galtier is trying to get him for the World Cup. Yeah, he's the rich man's skeleton. <laughs> yes, well... He's a he's he's even a slightly bigger specimen than Skelton, I think. You know, I mean, but he's but he's also um, he's a pretty impressive rugby player as well. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, I just think you know that that Toulouse have that you know they have that physical uh, size that Leinster might find it difficult um, to cope with uh, if it's close going into the sort of the the final quarter. And the one thing that struck me in the game against the Sharks was the way that Ntamak, after a pretty hot and cold season, pretty average season by his standards, that try that he scored where he sold, I think, about 10 dummies on his way to the line just indicated that you've got a a, a player who's just getting his, uh, his, his sort of confidence tank filled up again, probably at just the wrong time for Leinster and with... Dupont as well. They've got um, they've got they've got something. But Leicester have, have been have, have played you know tremendously throughout the whole competition, and um, they are just in terms of you, you know um, I suppose command of, of 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 skills and the ability to to find and work space. They're a team in a in a different uh, league to most others. Big game for Ross Byrne, isn't it? Big game for Ross Byrne. Big, big game for you know the head-to-head -head between Jameson Park and Dupont will be uh, fantastic. The, the reason <laughs> the reason I single out Byrne is that this is you know it's not beyond question that Sexton's going to struggle for fitness. 
around World Cup time. I mean, when, when it begins to go, it goes quite quickly, as I suppose we all find out at our levels. And, and you know, the, the big flying ointment for Ireland in all this time of their number one in the world and their Grand Slam champions and all the rest of it, the run they've had is the question hanging over them, the, 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 the sort of sword of Damocles, if you like, is what happens if Sexton's cropped but or if Sexton's half fit? And this guy's come in and he's he's going well, but these very big games, the business end games, of the, you know, if he can control games of this magnitude that's very good news for Ireland going into the World Cup but if he if he goes quiet or falls flat then the panic's back yeah home advantage is a big one as well isn't it I mean Leinster blew it on the road in that European final last year but they you know neutral venue for the semi-final <laughs> 51,000 at the Aviva it's got to be a you know it's going to be such a close game anyway that you'd think that is an advantage uh, he hasn't uh, Ollie hasn't asked us for a prediction yet I'm going to stick with Leinster I did last week but I wouldn't be slightest bit surprised to see Toulouse win didn't didn't um, did Leinster get beaten in the uh, URC yeah who beat them now wasn't it the Stormers yeah I think it was yeah and was that at um, the Aviva or was that at um... you're asking the question now Nick I can't remember where that was, was, again, was that, that again was a case of a team matching them up front which so rarely happens, but as with La Rochelle, they got matched up front. Look, there, um, you'd have to say that it, it will be a different, um, a, a different occasion. It should be a fantastic game of rugby, and uh, one worthy of the uh, of uh, of the European Cup. Talk, talk, talking of the European Cup, um, I think there's been some interesting. Uh, there was some interesting news in in the rugby paper that we came on this idea that um, that it's just going to be the top eight from the URC qualifying uh, from a couple of years a couple of years hence, um, and you know the way things are going, you could easily easily have no Welsh team in the Champions Cup, and you could have no Italian team either. Yeah. Um, I mean, t- top eight is pretty tough actually because it's quite a big league with the with the South Africans playing in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know what people's thoughts are, are, are on that. I mean, I know I know the Welsh haven't really delivered um, uh, in in terms of back end appearances in the European Cup for a, for a good while, but the notion that 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 there's no Welsh side in the competition at all. Yeah, seems no, it's ridiculous, Nick. It's sad it's to me. Chris, it's ridiculous. Say. It's ridiculous. And it's, it's a European club competition. They like to call it Champions Cup. But, I mean, how many of those teams are champions? So that, that is just their get-out clause. It's well, a European competition. Yeah. You've got to have an Italian team that we haven't got one. Benetton haven't been in it. Uh, you've got to have a Welsh team going forward. You've got to have a Georgian team. If you can have South African teams, you've got to have European teams. Um, so it's 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 um, it's smoke and mirrors, isn't it? It looked quite good if there's no Welsh team, no Italian team, and a load of South Africans. That's a hell yeah, of a, I mean, that's a know, hell of a European tournament, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. It's, totally. It's, it's sort of called making a rod for your own back, isn't it? But but in the end, I mean, the whole idea of the European Cup has been watered down. You know, I mean, what have we got? Eight Premiership clubs. You know, the eighth place Premiership club. In a in a ten potentially a ten team league gets into the European Cup. I mean, it's a bloody nonsense. 
Yeah. They're not good enough. Champions Cup and you come eighth. The yeah. They're not, they're not, they're not good enough. And it's the same. But the idea, it's a very difficult one. The idea, if it's based on merit, which is, is, is what it should be based on, the ball is very much in the court of the Welsh and the Italians and the Georgians, if they were part of it, which unfortunately they're not, but um, it's very much in their court to make sure that they get teams into qualification places. And the whole thing about cup competition is it's not play; it's not based on merit. Cup competitions should never be based on merit. You get you get an entry. You know those who are involved get an entry. Okay, then we, then we run the a pre tournament in that case. Yeah, but you know you don't not get an enter enter into the FA Cup because you got relegated from the the Premiership last year. You know you get the entry into the cup. And well, look, you know, as soon as you get amalgamated, career. as soon as you get amalgamated leagues, this is the problem that you're going to have. Oh, absolutely, they haven't thought it we've through. Got. And I and I and I find the idea that you know that there must be a Welsh given the format that we've got at the moment, which I don't like anyway, but the idea that you should have a buy for an Italian side or a Welsh side, you know, that they should be represented in the European so-called Champions Cup if they're not anywhere close to being champions in whatever league they happen to be playing in. Well, you know, tough. How, how is that worse than having the eighth-place team in the Premiership getting an automatic place? Yeah, How look, I, I agree. You know, look, they're both, they're both bloody, you know, they're both totally wrong, you know. I mean, but the reality is, is that, you know, we've got a competition now. We've got a multi, uh, a multinational competition as a qualification uh, competition in the URC. That's, you know, yeah. that's the way it's gone. What well, would you, what, what's the proposition that you would, you, you know, that even if the Welsh team came in, you know, uh, sort of in the URC came in at the bottom of the league that they they go straight into the European Cup. The the, the thing is with the with these numbers, the Challenge Cup means nothing, doesn't it? it I agree. It well, means, it means actually, I'm quite looking forward to the two semi-finals. Yeah. Um, at the weekend, I mean, I mean, they're 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 decent games, very interesting for for different reasons. But there are so there are so it seems to me there are so few teams. Not managing to get into the Champions Cup, <laughs> it's the Challenge Cups are really it's, it's a really weird thing. Um, I, I I don't quite know what you what you do about this. Where, where do you try and construct some kind of tournament where where every where everyone just plays a part, everyone, so there's no qualification as such, um, because there aren't that many teams being left out. Apart from the FA Cup, if you've got, if you've got um, 32 teams, you have a line draw. Line draw. Uh, Leinster could end up playing Toulouse in the first round. Tough cookie. Yeah. You go all the way down, 32, 16, 8, 4, 2, 1. Yeah. So you do it. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't see massive arguments. I mean, there, there are complications. It's quite a nuanced argument. There are complications, obviously. Uh, with, with you know, you're not having your pool fixtures, so, you know, you've got fewer own games during the season, all that kind of business. But actually, it, it, it's it's so unwieldy at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's been turned into, it, it's been turned into a, 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 like I said, you know, a watered-down version of, uh, of of what it was. And um, and, and that's, that's a real problem, you know. I mean, when you look at some of the premiership sides who are playing in it, they are not, you know, they're just not worthy of inclusion in it. And yet the whole thing's been gerrymandered 
to you know to get to get them in there um it just makes no sense at all to me it's meant to be an elite competition and it's turned into uh, um you know a, just a, you know anybody anybody's in it's interesting isn't it that, that, that without without relegation from the premiership we're talking about now and there is no way on god's earth that newcastle would have shipped 60 points on friday night if that was a relegation match no way. right absolutely no way so now you've caught, and and you will see it on on BT Sport, and you know I, I think BT Sport do a really really good job in many respects, but they will be bigging up that Bristol Gloucester game between eighth and tenth or whatever it is, the last game of the season, because Bristol need to win to secure a Champions Cup place, mm. and and if if that's what you're hanging your hat on for that final round of Premiership matches. Because the semi-finalists are already decided. If that's what you're hanging your hat on, the battle for eighth place, it doesn't sound very brilliant, does it? Doesn't sound great, does it? And uh, just w- one interesting uh, uh, stat out of it all. This is the, uh, as far as the Challenge Cup is concerned, which sometimes has been a pretty, um, you know, pretty entertaining uh, tournament in the past. The Challenge <laughs> Cup has. But that only the second time in its, I think, twenty-seven years, doesn't have a Premiership side in it. They're all in the Champions Cup, <laughs> or at least they all were, <laughs> or, or they went out of existence. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, on that though, that Challenge Cup, that Toulon Benetton match, as Chris was saying, that could be up there with anything from the weekend. Really, you know, Felix Mayo is going to be packed. That's the biggest game in Benetton's history, bar none. I, I know they won this Rainbow Cup two years ago against the Bulls second fifteen, and everybody thought they were lucky to get in because they got they got the four points because the Ospreys match was called off because of COVID or something. But they've really earned their place in this semi final. They've had back to backs against Stad. They've beaten uh, Connaught. They beat Bayonne away, Cardiff at home. Um, so that's a big match. And I, I noticed they pulled back four or five of their top players from this South African leg of their final URC games. They played in the first match, but they brought Lamaro back and Rutzer and um, Franco Smith and a few others. And also, I think it'll be a really special... There's a bit of a baton um, passing going on. I'm sure that Toulon will make Parisi captain for the day. He's, he's really sort of set his stall on this competition this year. He sees it as a way to go out and win some silverware. And it'll be quite a nice occasion, if he is captain for the day, to see him and Lamaro taking hands... Before the kickoff, uh, that'd be a big day for Italian rugby. I think. I, I think. I think. I, th- I think. You know, the, it's great to see the Italians at that level. It just still sticks in my crawl, having to call them by a blinking sponsor's name. <laughs> I just want to call them Treviso. Treviso. That's who they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- I mean, w- 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 one day, you know, Benetton might give up, and they'll be, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be sponsored by a pasta company. You know, or um, or you know, you you you'll get someone over here sponsored, you know, sponsored by Kellogg's cornflakes, and we'll have to call them Kellogg's. I mean, remember Pertens bees? Yeah. Oh, who can what, forget them? What the hell was that? Were they calling themselves Pertens bees when they beat wasps in the cup? They were. Yeah, they were Pertens bees beat wasps. Yeah. Bees beat the wasps. I mean, the most stupid name for a rugby club in history. Is <laughs> it worse than Benetton? And as you may have guessed, I find that find that hard enough. At least you can say that Benetton is Treviso and Treviso is Benetton. The only employers in town other than the restaurants. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, they own they own Treviso Benetton, really. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah, it's still not a very good excuse. Brendan, you're going for just back to Leicester three <laughs> before we wrap up. <laughs> Brendan oh, yeah. for Leicester. Nick, who are you going? Yeah. I'm going for I'm going for Toulouse. I think I've got to be consistent. I went for Toulouse last week. I know, week. I know, I know. Gotta... We're, we're redoing it now, but it's, it's no, just... no, I'm not redoing it. I'm Toulouse. Chris, if Leinster are at full strength and there is some doubt, I think over, I think they've got some second row issues as we speak at the moment. I'm not sure Ryan's fit. Um, uh, if they're at full strength. And I have to say that I think it's another stain on the tournament that they get a home advantage that no one else gets. I mean, geez, I do somersaults over this stuff. I mean, they have every advantage on earth anyway because of the way they're constructing what have you, much of it through their own efforts. But the notion that they can play all their big games in front of their home fans because there's nowhere else big enough apparently in the Republic of Ireland to host a big rugby match. Well, it'll come up to Blinking Windsor Park or some Tomond Park's twenty seven thousand. Yeah. Why not get them there? Uh, I mean, well, yeah, there, there is that. I mean it gives them a massive advantage. I think if they're at full strength they'll sneak it. I think if they're a little bit light in a couple of positions, Toulouse are more than capable of winning. So what's my prediction? I don't know. I don't have the get off the fence. I think it's a fascinating game. I get mean, off the fence. Fascinating. Game. Hey, look, I sit on the same fence as Bill Beaumont, and that tells you something about the size of me backside. <laughs> Chris, I don't really know what to do with that information. Um, I'm not sure there was a lot of information, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a Leinster uh, prediction for narrative purposes because I'm going to lose. On both counts, it's myself and Nick versus Chris and Brendan. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Guys, enjoy those semi-finals and obviously the Red Roses at Twickenham. And yeah, we'll see you next week. And I also hope Treviso win their semi-final. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.